Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone. You know, I got to change that over. I keep saying New England Ghost Project. It's really Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host. And with me, hopefully, all the way from Heathrow Airport is the Goldstein and the ghost hunting Steve Parsons. Good evening. Yes, I am at Heathrow Airport um, watching the comings and goings of the planes. About, mm. uh, about two hours ago, I watched uh, the BA203 departing for Boston. And... Uh, in 21 hours, I'll be on the BA203 on the way to Boston. There you go. Can't beat that. Nope, can't beat that. Your uh, mate hasn't arrived yet, huh? <laughs> I, no. Um, some say. Um, some say. Some say he's uh, been delayed en route. Um, others suggest he's probably popped out to uh, go for a meal with somebody. You know what a social butterfly he can be. Oh, God, is he ever. I've never realized <laughs> it. Why did he have a deprived childhood or something that he's, you know, he's just going to make friends everywhere? Yeah, it's good. As I say, introduce him to somebody. He'll work his way through your social media contact list. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Anyways, which, in case you don't know, we're talking about Dylan Jones, who is a member of uh, – is he still a member of your team, Steve? <laughs> He is. Up to this point. <laughs> so far, so far. Are, are you a member of his team now? <laughs> oh, I think he's got more friends than I have. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Uh, did I say that? <laughs> Anyways, it's uh, it's good to hear your voice, and I'll be able to see you in per- person uh, about 24 hours or so. Uh, a little over. Oh, so. Oh, so. Yeah, a little over. Yeah, yeah I added you also. Yeah, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. We should be with you by um, about ten o'clock tomorrow night. Your uh, time. Excellent. God excellent. willing, and with a following breeze. Yeah, with the breeze. What's that? I was saying with the breeze that you pay. Oh, I forget. May the I can't remember. It's, a, no, it's, I an, Irish, it's an Irish wrestling about something with the, the something or weather or whatever. Who cares? Why do I even try? I don't know why you bother. I don't know either. So, anyways, I'm here working hard on my presentations for Spirit Quest, which is this weekend. Oh You've got to do presentations. What's that? You didn't tell me about presentations. No, no. I have to do, if you all you have to do is show up. People That's just right. love. They yeah, just exactly. love your, your voice, you know. That's I, it. I, yeah, I, I have nothing prepared. It's yeah, you don't, you, don't have, you don't have to worry because I, I've got you covered. You know, I'm doing well, we the one for us. Tails and sna- snails and tails tomorrow night or something. Yeah, snails and tails, exactly what it is. Yeah, no, we're doing – that's Thursday night. Don't push it. <laughs> Thursday night. <laughs> uh, please, please don't push it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, – yep, that's uh, Thursday night at VZ. That's uh, – we're going to be talking about ghost yeah, hunting I and do, spiritualism. I, I have to stress that uh, Dylan won't be at that event. He's 
elsewhere. Yeah, yeah he's doing he's doing uh, social butterfly work. He already won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't all all this because he wants a calendar. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Told him they'll be on sale at Spirit Quest anyway. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> I'll even sign it for him. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I had a big night last night. I was able to see one of your uh, your properties that you have there in the UK, uh, Downton Abbey. Well. That's just home to us. That's exactly um, that's exactly where we live. We all live in places like that in the UK. I figured you did, you know. Yeah. Um, unless, unless you work downstairs. Well, you still live there if you work downstairs. Yeah, well, I mean, I had the butler pack the bags this morning and take me down to, uh, by the by carriage to the station. By the footman? The footman take you over there? Yeah, the, the, yeah the, the butler packed all the bags and then the footman took me down to the station in the carriage. And then he then he thrashed he went back and thrashed the maid. Have you ever been to Highcliffe Castle? I have been to Highcliffe. Um, which oh, is which I the, which I murdered the name again. I see you did. Highcliffe. <laughs> High yeah, uh, it's a very famous stately, well, very famous castle in the UK because uh, <laughs> it's the actual family ancestral home of Lord Carnarvon, yes. who was the discoverer of King Tut's uh, tomb. Exactly, and there are, in fact, only a few years ago they found um, not a hidden room, but um, they rediscovered some mm-hmm. artifacts that Lord Carnarvon, uh, who was killed by the curse of King Tut, of course he was, allegedly, and his dog too. Don't forget his dog. Um, well, that's how curses work. Yeah, kill you know. me, kill my dog. Yeah, there you go. But it's yeah, I was, that's funny. Love me, love my dog. I know that's so funny because that's what I was going to ask you about because, you know, most people don't know it was the stately home of uh, Lord Carnarvon. It and, still is. Yeah, and the, uh, um, you know, the the guy who bankrolled the uh, King Tut's tomb archaeology dig. But is that uh, – when you've been there, do, do they express that at all? Or, or, oh, absolutely. Because it's, op- it's open to, for public, right? They, they it, do. Is op- it is yes. open to the public, but it's still the home of, Lord, of the present Lord Carnarvon. Yeah. Um, Who's pepping it, it out because those things cost money to run. Oh, you wouldn't believe how much it costs. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, the Queen has to pimp out Buckingham Palace for three months. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, so they do stress that uh, they, they talk about that part of uh, Carnarvon's history and, and King Tut's tomb. They, they, they do. They, I mean, it's a very important part of not just um, the family history, of course, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's part of all of our history um, because Carnarvon bankrolled Howard Carter, who had this idea that uh, because C- C- uh, Carter was a notable uh, Egyptologist and antiquarian, and he was convinced that there was more tombs to be found, specifically the tomb of Tutankhamun. Mm. Um, and he he sort of scrambled around with no success at all, and it came down to Carnarvon had actually gone out there, basically, to say, look, enough is enough. Um, but but Cap Carter had said that there were some old spoil heaps uh, from excavation, I think it was of Ramesses' tomb, and he said, that's the part that we haven't looked underneath the dump of all mm. of the spoil that they pulled out of um, this other two. 
and lo and behold, he was right. Mm-hmm. And he made the, uh, the, I mean, it's a discovery of world importance. And quite interestingly, later this year, uh, next next month or the month after, um, the a large portion of the anti- the antiquities from the tomb uh, are going on tour and are spending, um, I think, seven or eight months in the UK um, on public exhibition. Coming to the US? I believe they are afterwards, yes. Ooh. Uh, now, this doesn't include, the obviously, the gold mask. Right. Uh, but it does include a lot of the other artifacts from the tomb that have never been toured before i remember as a as a young child um we we went to london uh to the british museum where um the 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 last time this exhibition toured and they did bring the death mask they did bring the um the big solid gold mask uh and i i have recollections of filing through as as part of a school party to see this astounding uh, collection of artefacts. So we're very much hoping that uh, we'll get to see it this time around. But it's not at um, it's not at one of our national museums. I think it's at the Saatchi Galleries, and I believe it, it's a paid admission um, event this time. That's okay. I mean, you know, sometimes it's, it's worth but to what see price? that. What price? Oh, that's true, too, yeah. But still, I mean, everything in, you know, money drives everything in this world. That yeah. At least it gives you the opportunity to, to view the collection and so forth. Uh, it did come over to America. Uh, God, I'm trying to think how far back. Uh, well, it would be the time I saw it as a child. So, maybe 30, 40 years, 40, 40 something years ago. Let me see. Yeah, I guess that's kind of. Yeah, I guess that's pretty much what it was. It's a little difficult. You know, time goes by so quickly here. I can't actually remember. I mean, I, I can't Google it on the phone, but I can't remember how old I was. But I remember I was, I, I was, you know, still, like, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was young. I was still sort of um, a junior school when we went down. So you are 40 plus years ago. Right. Has there ever been any, uh, you know, paranormal stories associated with the collection? Uh, Do you know what? I'm vaguely aware of, yes, there are. There was some talk of the curse, I think, coming back um, and following the family. But there are, uh, I mean, inevitably, um, the curse itself um, transcends pretty much everything. And I think that the 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 parts of the collection that were brought back to Highclere, uh, somewhat illicitly, as I understand, because there was a, a falling out with the Egyptian government. Ah, uh, there always is. Over uh, over rights and ownership. Yeah. Yep. I think I think Lord Carnarvon did. Uh, should we say bring some things, bring some souvenirs back with him? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think the Egyptians um, are still trying to reclaim. Well, in all fairness, I mean, look at Cleopatra's needle. <laughs> which one? Yeah, okay, that's true. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we, we've got one it, in London, there's one in Paris, you've got one yeah. in Washington. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah. just, it does, it's, unfortunately, that's the way it is. And, uh, well, you know, we're, anyway. we're, still, we're still squabbling over the Elgin marble, so. <laughs> the what? <laughs> 
Uh, these were the the Elgin marbles were brought back to the UK by Lord Elgin, um, and they are actually some of the frieze carvings from the Parthenon in Greece. And the Greeks have been after them for the longest time. Yeah, they're after everything. Yeah. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Well, it'll end up. It, it'll end up in our collection. Chances are, would yours or mine? <laughs> yeah, or it could end up in a thrift store. A thrift store, then we'd get it. <laughs> yeah. I think some of the but, Roosevelt connection ended up in a thrift store. By all I account. think so. No one knows about that story yet, so I haven't revealed it. But uh, yeah, we will talk about that eventually. I'm just looking for the right minute moment to do it. But oh, it's uh, been, been nearly a year. I know. I know, my friend. <laughs> I know. Anyway. Um, that being said, yeah, we oh yeah, talking about that and and uh, collections and one of the other collections that we made around the world, of course, was the Titanic artifacts from the Titanic. In, in, indeed, indeed. In fact, well, originally um, they had there was an, an original agreement that no artifacts would be recovered from the ship itself. Yeah, I know. That's I thought I heard that, and then yeah, I couldn't understand. And then all of a sudden, we had this collection making the rounds. Well, the way it was partially got around because uh, they didn't bring artifacts from the ship, but what they did bring was from the debris field that surrounds the two halves, um, where they picked them up off the ocean floor. Uh, That don't count, I guess, right? But there is a move. Uh, and there have been discussions. It may even have been implemented. I'm not entirely sure uh, because of the uh, uh, the deterioration of the ship. Yeah, eventually it's going to go on totally. Well, not just eventually in a you know in the long term. We're talking eventually in the in the relatively short period. Of yes, time. yes. I've seen the the photographs of it and, and the yeah. video of it. And, you know, you have to make a judgment call then. With do you allow it to just simply uh, become Lost a pile of yeah. Lost, lost forever, or do you yeah. start Lost to recover? History. Because when the when the discovery of the ship was made, of course, you could see uh, the crow's nest survived. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see captain's, inside captain's, the captain's, captain's bathtub, the bathtub. Yeah, all of all of those have been um, damaged or covered up by subsequent uh, rusting of the of the iron frame of the ship. So, you know, you have somebody is I I the judgment call may already have been made, but it seems to me that it would be better to save the artifacts and allow them to be studied and their story to be shared for future generations rather than just say, oh, well, there you go. We've got some photographs. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, You know, preserving history the best we can is is what we should do. I have to, I've actually seen the Titanic exhibition um, because it came to the Liverpool Maritime Museum. Um, and, of course, the ship was registered in Liverpool. The White Star Line main offices, uh, the building still survives. Um, and it's quite a notable building on the Liverpool waterfront. Um, and they did bring the uh, exhibition along with uh, there are still some artifacts from Titanic in Liverpool, along right. with uh, Lusitania, Mauritania, um, and other sort of notable Liverpool red. Oh, Lus- Lusitania as well? Lusitania, indeed. Um, hmm. Because 
uh, certainly Mauritania was built on the River Mersey uh, at the same shipyard that built the Confederate warship or the Confederate raider Alabama, CSS Alabama. Yeah. And so yeah, they... Liverpool has a very, a world-famous, world-renowned maritime museum. Um, I think it's probably the largest in the in, in the UK. Um, probably. Well, I think I'll go to it when I uh, come over there. It's absolutely worth a visit. One wall of it is um, they've recreated full size the side of one of the ocean liners. Um, it's always called the Titanic, but I don't think I think it's actually Mauritania uh, that they've recreated inside the museum. Inside the museum. Oh, that's amazing! And then outside on the on the on the key side, I think are the propellers of Lusitania, big bronze propellers of Lusitania. Okay, and I just realized something while we were talking about the collection. Uh, we have a little story that goes with it, and this is from my book, uh, Ghost of the Day. It's not too long, I believe. It isn't. It's called. Uh, April 14th, 1912, the Titanic Exhibition, Atlanta, Georgia. On April 14th, 1912, a cruise in the dark, icy waters, the Titanic struck an iceberg. Within a few short hours, it sank and disappeared into the black, watery depths, leaving more than 1,500 people struggling for their lives in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Eighty-two years later, on June 7th, 1994, United States District Court awarded RSM Titanic Inc. salvage rights. Did you know that? Um, well, I knew that there was a commercial organization involved. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 14 years after that, in 2008, that the salvage company began the worldwide tour of the uh, Titanic's Aquatic, Titanic Aquatic, that's the name of the uh, thing, which include 190 artifacts. Mm -hmm. It is rumored that the Georgia Aquarium, soon after displaying the antiquities, began experience a series of unexplained events. One volunteer, Margarita, felt that she, an invisible hand moved through her hair while she was working. And she quoted, she's quoted in saying, I think I lost the lost souls of the Titanic were reaching from me. The spokesman of the aquarium stated that she'd received multiple reports of ongoings from various other volunteers. Soon after that, a, guess what? A paranormal team uh, was no, called no, in. No. Yes. And it seems that during the investigation, members of the team spotted several shadowy fingers, figures roaming the hallways. Uh, ghostly specters of an elderly woman is uh, seen in the vicinity of the exhibit. Uh, coincidentally, uh, other sites housing the artifacts as well have experienced similar phenomenon, uh, leading, uh, leading credence to the notion that the artifacts of the Titanic have some of their lost souls still attached to them. So, anyways, that's a little story about the. Well, there the we are, but I don't, I don't recall any stories attached to the exhibition whilst it was in Liverpool. No, um, but the, I mean, those artifacts are evocative. You know, you've got to. I mean, let's pour some cold water, Atlantic cold water, onto this idea because oh. if you're, oh, if please. you're, if you're, you know, if you're in a museum that's hosting an exhibition of that 
magnitude. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows the story of Titanic and what happened to it. It's been the subject of yep. movies, of documentaries. Yep. Is it really that surprising then? So there's a, a volunteer walking through, gets a little spooked, perhaps walks through a cobweb, and then mm-hmm. suddenly decides that that's the lost souls of the RMS Titanic? Right. Or could it really be the lost souls of the RMS Titanic? Or it could just be wishful thinking, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. You don't know, do you? You weren't there. No, I wasn't. You don't know his circumstances. No, I wasn't there. But you know, mm. uh, blah, 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 like, blah, Titanic, Titanic sailed from Southampton. She was a Liverpool registered ship, although she never visited the port. Um, mm-hmm. She then went um, to uh, Cove in Ireland, Queenstown, as it was then known, and mm. never went anywhere else because it sank. Um, why Why would the ghosts then turn up in Georgia? They're attached to the artifacts. That's what they're saying. But there were no, there were no ghost stories attached to the uh, Titanic exhibition when it was in Belfast, where the ship was built and where... Of course hundreds, not, because, you know, it was in, in the of, UK. They wanted to complete of, their journey here because they were going to America. Uh, so not they, all, they, no, not, not, that's, that's incorrect because... A large, uh, a lot of. Um, I'm talking about the ghosts, the ones that are here. The ones who didn't <laughs> make. A large number of those who didn't make it were actually Harland and Wolf shipyard workers who were on board, um, still working on parts of the vessel mm-hmm. when it sailed, um, and were and they drowned at sea. Now, they didn't show up at Belfast, where they were from. They'd come home. Uh, they were maybe maybe back. they went on a world tour. You don't know. They may have done. But all you know, last happened. time it's like, oh, let's it's, go on a world it's, tour. It's nice in Georgia. We'll go mm. and blow blow fingers through this woman's hair. Yeah, you know what? We we've got uh, Lloyd Nelson here in uh, Nova Scotia. So what what the heck? What's wrong with that? Well, I'm surprised. You know? Have you got Queen Mary? Because she gets around. Yeah, maybe. Mary Queen of Scots. I mean, she's yeah. been everywhere else. Yeah, probably. Who knows? <laughs> but anyways, some hey, of the you might, interesting... You might, you might find the uh, the ghosts of Lord Carnarvon or Tutankhamun now they're showing Downton Abbey the movie. You might find the movie thing. I know. I've been hoping for that, you know. I've been, you know like, I was looking all around the theater, being the only, only man there. there. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a pair of white cotton gloves go dancing past. Ooh, like the uh, hamburger helper dude. Yeah, it'll be the butler's gloves going dancing past, or one of the maid's uh, bonnets with the ghost yeah. of, uh, or it could be an Egyptian, uh, the the ghost of a pharaoh or a mummy. Yeah, we have all those old uh, movies from uh, Belagosi and <laughs> uh, Curse of the Mummy. Yeah. Back in the days, I you know it's funny we're talking about yeah we're talking about uh, the Egyptian and, and the, uh, the, uh, the 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 Egyptian stuff and I've got sitting here I've got uh, Anubis statue of Anubis and then I've got this other cool this is this is really cool I should show you this uh, when you come over here it's uh I guess I don't know it looks. I mean, I guess you would call it the Sphinx, except it doesn't have the lion part. It just has a head. Maybe it's not a Sphinx. Maybe it's something else. 
Well, but, there, is a, there is a cat, like, uh, there is an Egyptian cat. Now, this, this looks like a, a really, it looks more like a pharaoh, but it's just a head. Maybe it's just a bust. Maybe. Yeah. But it's it's a little, uh, it's basically a little um, box, like, I mean, porcelain box. It opens up on a clasp. And inside, it's a little porcelain camel and a little porcelain pyramid. Isn't that, that cool? Awesome. I think that sounds like it might be an original. Yeah, I'll show it to you when you come over. I doubt I, it's I, I, I won't mention the um, the scarab, the Egyptian scarab that um, you I have. One? Oh, good. Well, what happened was there's a there's a bit of a family. Well, no, anyway, first of all, you got to say you got to tell people what a scarab is. Not everybody knows. Right. Well, well, I'll I'll get to that in a minute. But okay, okay, fair enough. There's there's a, when I was growing up, I was always told that when I was a wee lab, he said. Yeah, and there was a it was like a family story about one of our ancestors married an Egyptian princess. Ooh. Now, now clearly that was rubbish because there were no egyptians not e e egyptian princesses you know sort of within left. Yeah, yeah left over yeah left over mm -hmm. but nonetheless there was this sort of family story mm -hmm. uh, then um, after my uncle well my great uh, my great uncle after he died one of the things he he left was a small box just an ordinary wooden box Mm -hmm. And it was given. It was given to me. I was about thirteen or fourteen years old at the time. Um, cool. And it rattled when you shook it. It rattled. It had uh, like a, a fake silk lining in the box. It, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't anything special. The box. It wasn't a Dybbuk box or anything. But it, it, uh. when you shook it, it would it would sometimes rattle and sometimes it wouldn't rattle. So there was something stuck in the lining. So one day. Being, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to find out what this rattling is. So I got a, a, a box cutter mm -hmm. and carefully split the stitching. And out popped this, uh, it's about the size of a thumbnail. It's white alabaster in the shape of a scarab beetle. Oh, and wow. On, and on the base of it was high, were hieroglyphics in a cartouche. Get out. Seriously? Were hieroglyphics in a cartouche. Now... I took it over to Liverpool Museum, the City Museum, which is one of the UK's leading um, Egyptian antiquities museums, and asked them to tell me about it. And you know, was it genuine? Was it something fake? Um, and what they, at, at each end of this thumbnail uh, white alabaster beetle, Mm -hmm. uh, was an indented hole at either sort of the, the head end and the ass end. Really? So we're going to have to find out about that when we come back from the break because we have to take a break mm -hmm. right now. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson live from Heathrow Airport and Ron Kolick, Justin Drake. And uh, we're brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, uh, for High Street, not the end of Massachusetts. We'll be right back. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? 
then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. two of Ghost Chronicles International. As you can hear, I'm live at Heathrow Airport waiting to... Uh, well, that's what that was. Boston. I thought it was a voice from the dead or something. I no, it's a traffic control tower. Hey, Yankee, hold it, Sierra 1. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm here waiting to catch a ride up to Boston tomorrow. Um, yeah, so to continue the story of the Scarab Beetle, this white alabaster thumbnail-sized beetle with the Egyptian hieroglyphics on the flat underside of it and the indents at head and tail end. Mm-hmm. Um, the curator looked at it and he went, oh, I know what exactly what that is. It's um, an official seal ring. They would uh, rotate it. It would wear it as a ring, and, of course, it would be beetle-side up. But when they wanted to impress into clay the cartouche of the pharaoh, they would spin it round and press it into wet clay. And it was actually the cartouche of Ramesses II. Oh, cool. Um, dated to about 2000 BC, uh, completely legitimate. Anyway, it's, it's they have it on sort of loan at the moment. It's been there ever since. Um, it is officially mine, but it's still there at the museum. Um, now, I don't believe, nobody believes the story of the Egyptian princess. The best we've, we've ever been able to track with the family history is that one of our, um, one of the ancestors was in the British Army in Egypt, um, stationed there fighting against Napoleon um, mm. in the early 19th century. And it's likely that he may have married an Egyptian woman who he called his princess. Princess, yes, that makes um, sense. And there are members of the family, you know, who have a sort of uh, my my uncle um, or two two of my uncles um, both have quite had quite an olive sort of dark hair and olive complexion, um, which lent a little bit more credence. But this box absolutely did. Uh, and it was likely that this was just a souvenir that he bought whilst he was in, you know, in Egypt, and just brought back with him. And it probably fell inside the lining of a box of the box. Rather, I don't, you know, we don't think it was ever hidden in the box. I think it just fell into the 
wrapped inside the lining of the box. But uh, not interesting, interesting little story, though. I thought it was very good, yes. When I go over there, we'll have to go and do psychometry with it, and I can tell you all about it. Yeah, it'd be nice to. I, I last saw it about uh, five or six years ago, um, because I was to say... They still remember who you are? <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, fortunately, there's um, an acquisitions um, file. A log, log like, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was never given... To the museum, it was yeah. loaned to the museum because, um, well, I, I was I was I was a teenager. I I thought it was kind of cool and sort of kind of thought that you know I don't want to give it them, uh, mm. but they said, I mean, they had dozens and dozens in their collection, and they but they expressed they said they didn't have that particular pharaoh, uh, and would I mind donating it? And I said, well, you can borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, it was quite an intimidating experience, you know, because I just, you know, took it upon myself as a as a schoolboy to go over to, to, to find out. Well, I was I was a teenager to find out something about this thing, this little um, alabaster beetle that fell out of a box. Because obviously, there are so many fake Egyptian antiquities. Um, oh yes, even today there's still actually, and, and not only just can, Egyptian, buy, but yeah. Incan, uh, you know, any any ancient civilization that exactly. you're going to find ripoffs. And I I wanted to know was it the real McCoy or was it just a tourist souvenir that somebody brought back, you know, um, around the time because uh, you know uh, that particular uncle had served in the uh, Middle East uh, during world, around World War II, World War Two. Uh, because he'd been in the Desert Rats. Um, oh, yeah. Fort Rommel. And I thought, well, maybe it's something he picked up while during his time in Egypt. Um, but no, the box actually belonged to his father. So, or it had come down through the family through to him. And uh, when he passed away, um, it was just it was just a wooden box. Nobody really wanted it. You know, it was worthless. Uh, so I ended up with it. Speaking about Rommel, do you know, and we discussed this on the morning show, that uh, his ghost has been seen in the United States? I didn't know that, no. I, I used to remember my uncle used to say, um, this is the one who was in the Desert Rats, he said, there was one day, we are out on patrol, I had Rommel in my sights, I was just about to pull the trigger, and my mate tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want a, do you want a cigarette? <laughs> I think that's a story. I'm just. Saying. I think that's a story. <laughs> but could be. I'm not going to. My, my my grandfather used to say he was he was on the beaches of Normandy when the first when the first shot landed, and he was back in Dover when the second one landed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a horrible experience. But anyway, it yeah. Was. This... But, but you know, I mean. That aside, we'll come on to the Rommel ghost that I haven't forgotten. But no, that's all right. It's not a big lot of that generation used to make light of, um, you know, their the war service. My grandfather was was um, my great my great grandfather won mel, um, you know uh, medals for gallantry, um, but but they used to just make light of it. You know, my grandfather was in the Navy, uh, but whenever you asked him what, what, you know, what did you do in the war? He would say I was in the deserter corps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And the fifth, and the other thing you say, uh, it's a, I don't know, do you have foot and mouth disease in America? 
Yes, Huffman Mouth. Yeah. yeah, he used to say he was in the fist, foot and mouth, or he was in the <laughs> deserted. They used to just make, because, you know, they used to make light of it. It yep. was very, very difficult to get to find out. Um, See, in fact, it yeah. wasn't until after they died that we found out the truth. Yeah. You didn't have to worry about uh, deserting in the, the Russian army because they had the commissars sitting behind them with machine guns that shot them as they, if they headed back instead of forward. Uh, the Germans had a set. Well, you, you can't. Well, uh, but we, can't dis- yeah. we, we can't dismiss the bravery of the Russians. We can't. Uh, <laughs> no, we can't. I mean, they lost 20 million and they fought the Germans to an absolute standstill, didn't they? Right through Berlin. Yeah, and um, lost millions of men in the process. Yeah, so that's good strategy. Um, it worked. It's like the Chinese, you know, quantity, not quality. They just keep on going. Yeah, yeah. we knock pick, them down. They pick, send... up, pick up their gun, and in fact, in some of the Russians, they they were unarmed, and that's exactly what they did. They would pick up the fallen comrades' guns and use that. So, um, so why was Rommel in America? Or is oh, supposedly, now this is all, you know, stories. And uh, Rommel came over here incognito before the, the war and uh, to uh, study uh, Civil War battlefields. Ah. Well, it makes sense because he was a, he was a noticeable military. He was a great tactician, yeah. And that, that would, I mean... I mean, it, it fits in with uh, the history that we do know in that um, the guy who uh, created the, oh, I can't remember, Ernst, Ernst Udet, who was the pioneer of the dive bomber, the Junkers dive bomber, and the mm-hmm. idea of dive bombing uh, got the idea from the, was it Billy, Billy Mitchell? Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he sank the battleship. And he realized then that, you know, if you point the aeroplane at the target and then dive steeply and then let the bomb go, it's much more accurate than just flying over it. And yeah, in all fairness, though, the, the Germans did that first with their Stugas. No, no, no. The, the Americans did it first. The Germans nope. copied them. Yes, they did. The Americans weren't even a war then. No, no, no. Pre-war, uh, Billy Mitchell did a demonstration where he blew up a battleship to demonstrate the effectiveness oh, okay. of their power. And he used the dive bombing technique, and the Germans observed it. Uh, they were invited to as guests. They observed it, and then they went back to Germany and perfected it with the Stuka. Mm-hmm. So it was very much, uh, very much an American first. However, we also pinched from the Germans uh, the idea of parachute troops, the Fallschirmjäger that the Germans had, we beca- became the 82nd and 101st Airborne and the British Parachute Regiment. Yeah. If you see a good idea, you pinch it. No, yeah, I mean, particularly if the other guy's winning. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Uh, you know, I, I am a, a great uh, tactician. I really am. Uh, war games and everything. I'm, I'm extremely good at it. And I've noticed. I've noticed your your amazing um, tactical deployment of stuff. <laughs> no, I mean seriously in war games and stuff. And and I have studied uh, Rommel and uh, my other favorite, of course, is uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, so, in fact, I have in my hand right now. I have. Uh, uh, 
General Field Marshal Aaron Robert uh, Rommel's uh, book Infantry Tactics, uh, written in 1937, in my hand. He he made one basic blunder though, didn't he, when he went to his wife's birthday party? <laughs> because he wasn't expecting us to roll up on the Normandy coast. No, you know, no. The wind was. Uh, that's wind that's was not strong. exactly true in itself because uh, of the stupid uh, communication lines uh, that they had between. At that time of the war, it was extremely bad uh, for the Germans. And they basically didn't listen to Rommel at all. So there you go. Well, they, 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 yeah, they made a lot of blunders in those first few days. Thank God. Um, you know, but it no, wasn't. It wasn't. They had the balls to go and wake Hitler up, did they? Exactly. That's the problem. Is that they would never allow them to operate on their own, which, which would have made a difference. Uh, well, you know, that, that same way. mistake, that same mistake, I remember reading about the history of, it, of the Vietnam War and having the politicians hand-tie hand the military uh, oh, because absolutely. it was Johnson uh, who was deciding the targeting. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, the uh, commander, the military commanders um, said, look, we can defeat this army if you will allow us to fight a, fight a proper war with them. Yep. And that changed the tactics of Desert Storm because the lesson they learned in Vietnam where the politicians were sitting there choosing targets mm -hmm. had been completely done away with and the military was given the job of taking on and defeating um, the Iraqi forces during Desert Storm. Yeah, I, I always heard a good story. Uh, I've always remembered it from Desert Storm, the first one, uh, is that... Uh, the army uh, attacked the Republican Guards tank divisions and pretty much just decimated them. Uh, and they captured a whole bunch of prisoners and they were loading them into a, the back of a Bradley. And when they came in there, on the uh, inside pinned up on the uh, Bradley was a picture of Rommel. And uh, they, the, not, the Iraqis said, well, how, how come you got this? This uh, He lost in World War II. Why do you have losers? And he says, well, you know, if you don't study him, he says, if you had studied him, he says, you wouldn't be sitting in the back of this Bradley. <laughs> but uh, anyway. All right. So you are on your way over. Got a lot of good events coming up. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm kind of uh, halfway through the journey uh, because I set off this morning at uh, about 630. Mm -hmm. uh, um and it took seven hours or so to get to London, to the airport, where I'm now holed up for the night. Um, and then tomorrow, it's the other six and a half, seven hours of the journey, which is uh, rather depressingly, 40 minutes after takeoff, we fly right back over West Wales. <laughs> and, and there have been times coming home from New England uh, and the wee small, you know, at that first light flying over Pembrokeshire in West Wales, looking out and actually seeing the house. So all you know, do is pull up D.B. Cooper. And... I, I know. I, it's really <laughs> depressing because, you know, you're five miles, you're 25,000 feet, you're five miles from your house. And then, you know, you've got seven and a half, eight hours more traveling <laughs> yeah. to get right back to where you are then. Yes, that's sad. The kill, the killer is always the return because um, with the outbound, 
Well, well, the other way, the other thing as well is because um, the return flight is an overnight flight. You've already been awake all day before you even get near the plane. Um, and then you, I don't sleep very well on planes. So then you've got to be uh, sort of up all night on the plane and then up for about seven or eight hours, nine hours, traveling back from the airport back to West Wales again. Mm-hmm. So it, it turns into, uh, it's about a 14 hour journey to get to America and it's about a 31 hour journey to get back from America. Yeah. And, the clock, and, and yeah, and the clock doesn't. Uh-huh. But I keep I keep hoping that there'll be a knock on the door shortly and the teller of curious tales will arrive. But uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. I I think he is. Uh, I mean, we are supposed to meet once the show's over. Assuming because he was supposed to set off at about three thirty this afternoon, uh, so about now your time. Um, but when he got to the bus station, the bus driver said, "Oh, I'm having my break now, um, and we'll be a half hour late leaving." So. <laughs> I know, I know. You couldn't make it up. Could you? you couldn't. Do you know today? Today, I'll, I'll tell you this: you couldn't make it up. I travelled. I set off at, at say six thirty this morning. I had um, several train connections, and then um, uh, the airport bus from the rail station, and that took me to uh, the airport itself. Then from the airport, I have to get a small um, courtesy bus to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So I'd done all these these difficult, there was a six-minute transfer at one of the stations, and I've got big, heavy suitcases, and it was all, you know, will, it, will the timetables match up? And it, it matched up perfectly until I got to Heathrow Airport itself, the terminal, where um, there is then a one-mile uh, shuttle bus because there's a, a motorway between here and the airport that you can't walk, walk so you can't walk it. Um, the bus pulled in on time the little hotel bus pulled in on time the driver got out and said uh, I finished for the day um, another driver will take it over uh, but he's not here right now so <laughs> we so we stood on, on the side on the curbside for 20 minutes with this empty bus uh, weren't, we weren't allowed on it then the, the new driver turned up and he announced that he couldn't start for 20 minutes. And they wouldn't even let you on the bus? That's ridiculous. They wouldn't even let us on the bus. And so some Italians who were waiting to get on the bus started to get Italian about it. You know, this Mediterranean mm. arm-waving arm and shouting. Ah, good. Um, then the driver got cross with them. Um, they got even more cross with the driver. <laughs> So, yeah, all by the last mile, it was fine. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get there finally? Um, eight, eight, eight and a half hours. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Which is, which is you know, when you think it takes six and a half to fly the Atlantic. That's true. And the distance it, from here to um, Pembrokeshire in, by road is 250 miles. It's nothing. Hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that's Brexit for you. Yeah. You'll be here uh, shortly, which is the good thing. And uh, I have good news to report. The uh, Harry Price goal is sold I out. Saw. I, I'm so. delighted by that because they're going to have a really good night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to that one. 
Yeah, I've, I've it's, never a shame, seen it. it's a shame Dylan can't join us, but oh no, wait, he's socialising, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's his problem, not mine. <laughs> well, he's he's actually um, he's working, isn't he, on that night? He's um, on another radio show. No, I don't think so. Isn't he? No. Oh no, not that particular night. No. No, no. that's Saturday night. Yeah, we've traded him out for. No, he just he's going off on his own to look for Lizzie Floyd or something. I don't know. He's in Boston. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, yeah, so uh, I've never seen the place. I'm going Thursday to scope it out ahead of time, so I know where the hell I'm going. Uh, so I'll, I will see it then for the first time. You're but it's an old to, house. Oh, I see. You're going Thursday while we go to the other place. No, it's in the daytime. Well, yeah, I don't know what time yeah, you leave it, but yeah, we're, 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 I, you already I'm, told me that you already told me that, that was yeah. clear. Yeah, I've got to go to set sales and snails, or snails and tails, or at night. Yep, at night. Yeah. Although um, I might be at VZ a little bit before you, I think, because uh, Dylan has an appointment, doesn't he? Oh, he does, does he? He does. He's got to be elsewhere at five p.m. All right, I have no clue what that is, but that's fine. <laughs> that's, oh, Thursday. that's Thursday. Oh, yes, that's right. Now I get it. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. Okay. Now I get it. Okay. I, the schedule's very confusing for me, even. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the ladies who do lunch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway. so uh, Housewives, Housewives in New York have got nothing on Dylan. Hmm. So we we were uh, as I mentioned we went to the Downton Abbey uh, yesterday and and that was it was a good movie I, I enjoy it. I like those type of things since my wife got me hooked on them and I, yeah how I got hooked on them by the way is because my office is outside the living room she started watching them on PBS and then uh, uh, I was hearing it of course and then finally it's like all right now I'm going to watch it so I watch it and then that was it. <laughs> just better. So, have you watched? Have you watched over there? My no, my, every, I mean it was very popular over here, but uh, it was it was one of those things. It was hugely popular in Britain, but um, it was even more popular in the USA. Mm. Because, what? Well, I mean, we can go to Highclere, and of course, we we live in you know those sorts of places. Right, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're we're perfectly used to having bottles, bottle fourers, and uh, foot footmen, and um, yeah, it's just normal everyday stuff for us. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, except there's there's fewer fewer people because you're in Midsummer's County. Well, you know, the biggest, you know, do you know what? I don't know how, how dumb the police are because nobody has ever arrested the prime suspect, the obvious prime suspect. Which is the chief inspector? He's always there, or he always knows the victim. Oh yeah, yeah. Or his I wife knows the victim as well. Yeah. <laughs> there was one very, very good midsummer that was. They used to do a lot of these British um, uh, dramas. Used to do like a Halloween uh, themed one. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the the one with the uh, the ghost in the church? Midsummer one. Uh, uh, there was um, there was a couple of them. Yeah, there was there was a couple, but there was one notable one where they had a ghost hunter in the church. 
um, mm. and it turned out that you know there was a there was a murder inevitably. Of course, there is. And um, dark secrets were un- were um, uncovered, and that's why they had to be killed to prevent these secrets. And there was a tomb in the middle of the church. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do remember that yeah. one. Yes. And the lady ghost hunter uh, was was there along with a psychic uh, to solve the mystery of the ghost. Mm. But there was also another Halloween one that involved witchcraft. Yeah, and don't, don't forget the one that actually had a ghost hunt in it. That's what I was just, yeah, I've just talked about the other one. I mean, they, they did several because the series ran for years. So, um, mm. still, yeah. We still get them over here. We haven't yeah. got the list yet, in fact. I mean, the, you know, the, there were... It, it, season it's 20, I think, right now. Yeah, it's not unusual for um, British dramas to carry a sort of Halloween theme episode right. um, but Christmas as well they have a Christmas one specials as well that, that's the deal. I don't know if Downton ever did a, a ghost themed one but they did they had one of the I thought it was one of the best lines uh, about the paranormal and it, it was uh, the, all the servants were in the, the, the kitchen and they were doing the Ouija board and oh. and Padamore was there, and, and Daisy came up to her, and, and Padamore said, okay, enough with that, you know, cut it all away. And the little Daisy says to her, well, don't you believe in spirits? And Mrs. Padamore says, yes, I believe in spirits. I just don't believe they play games. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favorite lines. So. There we are. There we are. So, so anyways, we're coming, coming to yeah. the end. So what, so what other things have I got to do while I'm over there? You have two dinings for the dead when ghosts attack. When ghosts attack and the most haunted house in the world. Ghosts attack. I'm dying to see that one. Yeah. I can't wait, actually. Um, It's, uh, you know my talks. It's probably, there's there's quite a bit of tongue-in-cheek. No. Well, you know, I... No, 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 no. I don't believe that. You, everything you tell me is always the truth. No, like no, no. The, ecto, they are, they are true. They are like, true. Oh, like the ecto classes are true? No, they weren't true. Yeah, you bastard. <laughs> that was one of the finest, finest spoofs I have ever pulled on you. <laughs> that was it. It was what I think it was was it the first year. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it was the second year. Um, second year. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Your and credibility was you, gone with me after that. You, you sat on the front row um, while I, I was did the so excited I, about that. I projected Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wearing the um, these uh, spectacles that became the, the the early forerunner of the ectoglasses. Yes. And you came up afterwards and said, "Did the SPR still have them? And can we and do they?" And did, was, didn't you see my eyes light up when you saw the presentation? <laughs> it's like, what? Oh, so those two, those two, those two slides in the story were just. The rest of it was true, but mm. I, I, sure, I put in, sure. Your credible is gone. It's gone. I don't trust anything you say anymore. <laughs> it was the, the talk was the history of ghost tech. Um. Yeah, I know. And I, was, I included uh, just just a couple of um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, you did. Anyways, uh, I have to, a quick story. Is that when I was working with Brian the Monk as a Franciscan monk and did a lot of uh, infrared photography, uh, he used to actually have a pair of Israeli uh, commando glasses mm-hmm. that infrared 
thing. Mm-hmm. It was like <laughs> it was the funniest thing you see him walking around with that thing. It was like, oh, it's like a ghost. It's like, oh, seriously. <laughs> yeah, they work? Point, Do they work? <laughs> you remember the British group ASAP? Um, that we've we've obviously, I mean, they're still going. But back in the early eighties, they also went out and spent money on a pair of these ex-military strap-on-your-head night vision goggles. Mm-hmm. Um, the strangest thing, I mean, yeah, it allowed you to see in the dark brilliantly. We, in fact, Parasites had a night vision scope, um, which we used to use in areas where, uh, of course, there were no lights, and so you needed to be able to see. And we never we never saw a ghost with it, but we certainly you know, found well, a lot of use for it. One of the theories is that that uh, you know they uh, dwell in the infrared range, or they're visible in the infrared range. That's the the purpose of it. And uh, <laughs> excuse me. Anyways, we do, we've got out of time. So the next show we'll have, you'll actually be sitting next to me at the beach. I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Yep. So uh, tune in next week when uh, Steve and I will be together. And, and, and in fact, uh, Dylan has uh, yeah, told me. Yeah. You probably heard the ping. He he will be here in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we gotta go. All right. See you next week. See you here, and have a safe flight. See you tomorrow. Yep. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.